0: I get the the joy of uh, teaching on uh, Halloween uh, today once out of every like I think it's like what seven years Halloween falls on a Sunday it's something I didn't actually check that math before I came up here I should have but I think it's like it's once and every so often and of course falls on the fifth Sunday every time so I get the joy of preaching about I'm um, doing our second sermon, ser- um, in the, our sermon series on evil this Sunday which is uh Garrett put last week it's a uh, it seems like it's ironic that it's, uh, we're doing a sermon series on evil during Halloween time, but it's totally, it was totally planned and thought out, right? It wasn't, or was it a coincidence? Nah, it, was, it was purposeful. It was purposeful. <laughs> no so much. So well, Halloween at this point, here in 2020, 2021, I feel like it's sort of kind of become, um, like a second Christmas. For a lot of people. Everyone goes around and it's their house. and because they can say it's a holiday so they make themselves feel better about it and a lot of times every uh, every year everyone just like christmas likes to go around october starts and watch their favorite halloween or fall movie and for some people that something like Every before christmas or hocus pocus or charlie brown and the in the great pumpkin or something like that but for some people they like to use halloween. Isn't it an excuse to watch something uh, a little bit more on the scary side. I know a lot, a, lot of our, uh, a lot of our students this past couple of weeks went to go see the new uh, Halloween movie with Michael Myers. So uh, that just goes to show that there are people out there that like to watch scary stuff. And uh, uh, during college it was kind of a hobby of mine uh, that me and my friends every week almost, not just during Halloween time, but every week we like to sit down and watch a scary movie together. And a lot of times, it ended up being some cheesy horror film that wasn't really that scary. But every once in a while, we got something that would that would really, you know, for a lot of people in this uh, room, it would, it would give, probably give you nightmares for a few nights at least. Um, which is kind of fun. funny that in college, I ended up sort of developing that as a hobby. Because before college, from the age of like, you know, whenever I was a newborn child, all the way up till college, really, I wanted nothing to do anything scary. I wanted absolutely nothing to do with it. I remember uh, back whenever I was probably about six years old, I walked in the room and my parents had on TV, I don't know why it was on TV or uh, what they were doing watching it, but the Michael Jackson Thriller music video was up on, uh, was on the screen and I had nightmares for like two solid weeks. I know it was only six but that just, (laughs) that just goes like I just didn't want anything to do with scary stuff up until I got to college. And I started thinking about this week, why writing this sermon, why I wasn't afraid once I started going to college. Why I even got to the point where we would watch, like by the time I graduated, our senior year, I got to the point where even like the most scary movies, like I was able just to like to watch like and almost like view them as kind of a comedy in some aspects, be like, oh, the acting is absolutely terrible here, like that would never happen, be more like realistic about it. And I think it comes down to, I was able to get through those experiences because I had other people to walk alongside with. And that goes for a lot of things we do in our lives. A lot of times it's hard to do stuff alone. And a lot of times we find ourselves bringing other people in whenever we have something challenging that we have to face. Whether it's something that we have to go through or something that we have to do. And last week, we talked about evil. And we talked about whether that evil is present in this world, whether we like it or not. Evil is everywhere, and there's really nothing we can do about it. It's here. And it's present. And life isn't always you know, sunshine, rainbows, lollipops, unicorns. It's not always happiness. Sometimes life can get hard. And say we're going to be looking at two. Psalm chapter 23, which if you guys, that was our responsive reading that Easton led us in earlier, then we're going to go to Exodus chapter 4. But before we get into Psalm chapter 23, I want to ask you guys this question. What do you guys think the most commonly repeated phrase in the Bible? I want you guys to think about that for a second. Do you guys think the most commonly repeated command in the Bible is don't commit blank sin or God's trying to tell us to do something like pray more or read our Bible more, or something like that. The most commonly repeated command in the Bible is the phrase, fear not, or do not be afraid. Now, depending on what translation you're reading out of, whether it be ESV, NIV, CSB, KJV, TTYL, BRB, whatever the, uh, <laughs> whatever the, whatever the uh, translation you're reading out of, the exact amount of, I'm, I'm actually of it. I actually wasn't in the, in the part of the script, I'm just really glad someone laughed at that. That was an on-the-fly joke. Um, whatever version you're reading out of, the exact number may vary, but the amount of times that the command fear not or do not be afraid in the Bible is at least at, at the shortest, uh, at least over 100 times. And the fact that it's repeated so many times in the Bible just say something a lot about how powerful a role of fear plays in our lives. And there's a lot. And evil is frightening to walk alone. But God wants us to know, many, many times, that command is written in the Bible, that he is constantly with us. He is walking alongside us every single step that we take. And if a hundred plus times that the command, fear not, or do not be afraid, is written in the Bible, let's go ahead and dive into Psalm chapter 23. And while we were reading it, I don't know if you guys caught on, but Psalm chapter 23 is a pretty pretty consoling passage in the Bible. And in that, in Psalm chapter 23, in verse 4, we discover this confident claim where it says, Even though I walk through the darkest valley, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. The writer of this passage is... He killed Goliath, ended up being God's chosen king, had an affair with Bathsheba. He, uh, he's, an, he's a very prominent person in the Old Testament, and he's the writer of this psalm. And what he's writing about here is about how he's learned that God's presence overcomes even the very worst of things that you can face in life. And psalm 23 introduces, introduces us to God. As a faithful, loving, and compassionate shepherd. And and that's an image that is attributed to God and Jesus. Both, many times throughout the Old and the New Testament. Jesus and God are constantly compared to um, a shepherd. And as we read this passage, as we think more about it, we can see more more about how God is our shepherd. We begin to see how God guides for us. He cares for us individually. He protects us. We realize that we lack nothing because we have God, our shepherd, with us. He's directing our path, and he's looking out for us in every need that we have. Even if God as our shepherd leads us into a dark valley, we can confidently claim, just like David, that I will fear no evil. And the word evil in the Hebrew language, which is what Psalm 23 was originally written in, Injury of any kind. So even in the most challenging of times, David here is saying that he will not face any harm. We don't have to be afraid, because we have God with us whenever we walk through the dark valleys of life. He with us in times of loss, injury, grief. Even in the blackest seasons of life, we don't have to fear God, or we don't have to fear evil because God is with us. And God repeatedly gives us this assurance many times around the Bible. Psalm chapter 23 is the only time where God gives us the assurance that he is going to be constantly with us. He writes in uh, Deuteronomy, whenever we're uh, reading about the, um, Joshua and the people of Israel preparing for battle against the, uh, the enemy nations in the promised land. God said through Moses, be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid or terrified because of them. For the Lord your God goes with you. He will never leave you nor forsake you. And then we jump to the book of Isaiah where God proclaimed, do not be afraid for I am with you. Don't be discouraged for I am your God. I will strengthen you and help you. I will hold you out with my victorious right hand. And then we go all the way to Hebrews in the New Testament and they're the right reminds us of God's promise, I will never leave you nor forsake you. And I want to pause for a second. I want to talk about these two passages in Isaiah and Hebrews. Even though these writers are, these two books of the Bible written 700 plus years apart, they have two completely different authors that grew up in different time periods, and they have really, I mean, at that point, 700 years different cultures. They both point to the same thing. They both point to God's dwelling in our lives. And in Isaiah and Hebrews, realistically, they're both pointing to Christ. But what they're saying here is is even though Jesus, we don't physically see God or Jesus in this room right now. And even though we don't physically see either of them, we know that their spirit dwells within us. We know that even though we don't physically see them, they're with us every step. You see, fearing evil and trusting in God, they don't mix. They're incompatible. You can't fear evil and have full trust in God. And if you're going to fully trust in God, naturally, you're not going to fear evil. God is our shepherd, and we are his sheep, and we are in his constant care. lives, even in death, we know that God's love is never going to fail us. He is going to constantly be with us. The going is never going to get too tough where God's going to step away. In verse 4, here's here's the real um, meat of this passage. In verse 4, it says, even though, even when I go through the darkest valley, I will fear no evil, for you are with me, your rod and your staff, they comfort me. We move away from being directed in passive righteousness now to walking down a dark, dangerous, and depressing valley. And there we face mankind's greatest enemy, death itself. And i want to paint a picture real quick of what David's trying to establish, what kind of imagery he's trying to paint for us whenever he's talking about this dark valley in Psalms. Here he's saying that the, the valley in view is deep and rocky. And the kind of dangers that, that you may face are, are flash floods, attacks from animals, or outlaws. And the phrase valley is only used 17 times in the Old Testament. And every single time it's used, it's used in some sort of as some sort of poetic device. Um, so like the book of Saul that we're reading out today, it's all filled with poetry. All reading out of today is a poem. And in all, all 17 times it's used, it's usually used as um, a poetic description of emotional darkness caused by some sort of threatening circumstance. usually implies that some sort of like sorrow or sadness or fear is going on. And the most time it's used in a book in the Old Testament is written in the book of uh, Job. It's used seven out of the 17 times. And there, Job is uh, using it to signify or great distress, or a long, dark passageway that seems to have no... end What David is talking about is a valley that you get stuck in, where there's darkness all around you, there's constant fear going on, and honestly, whenever I think of the dark valley, I was talking about this day during Sunday school, and I actually had a couple of better um, examples than I was going to give. I started to think immediately of uh, a movie example. Well, what kind of think of, you know, like examples, get, you know, everyone in the festive mood. Like the Oakley Hotel in the Shining, or Hadley actually you with know, a better uh, example of like in Finding Nemo whenever, you know, Marlin Marlin sorry, um, I knew I was gonna, if I said it wrong, I was gonna uh, from the stage. Uh, where well, Marlin and Dory are like, they they have the the address to where to find some Nemo, falls down this like to the darkness, even though they're absolutely terrified to, uh, to get, get the only piece of uh, information where he can find his, his son. Or another example, if you want to Or uh, have you guys ever seen the Princess Bride, the fire swamp in there? Like like a place of, wow, I got a lot more head nods than I thought. I thought I was going to, only a few more. Like, like just a place of, whatever I like to imagine, the darkest valley, like just a place of, of evil where you have to go through and it seems like there's only one way out and and you know you have, you have to go through it. And but what is talking about here. He's not saying that every single follower of God is gonna to have to go through a literal valley at one point in their life. I, is there even a valley? Yeah, there are. Well, my bad. I guess someone's got to take me to a valley this week. Wrong. <laughs> well, what David is saying here is that, that we don't have to go through a literal valley here. Obviously, what he's talking about is he's, t- he's using it as a symbolism. He's using it as a metaphor. And what he's saying here is the type of valley we have to go through. Go, we, we almost ha- <laughs> You guys have got me off track with all... Uh, now... It- just like my mind is just blown now since I know there's a valley in Kentucky and I just don't know how to handle myself. I'm just... <laughs> Man, I should have just Googled it. That would have saved me a lot of embarrassment, wouldn't it? That would have been a lot better. Um, but we all must go through a dark valley sometime in our lives. For some of us, we may have to end up going through multiple. And for some of us, we may have been we valley yet. But what David is saying here is we're all through one at some point. A dark valley of life where we're scared. Where something happens. Unemployment. Sickness. Death. Pain. Suffering. Stress. Anxiety. The list goes on and on. There can be many different kinds of valleys you can get stuck in in your life. But what David is saying here is we don't have to do it alone. What God is doing is he's trying to guide us through, and all we have to do is accept it. That's what David's saying here. David is saying that there's only one solution to getting through the valley, and that is that the God is with us. And real quick, before we move on to Exodus chapter 4, I want to I say two Original Hebrew text: The word valley is actually in the literal center of the poem. It, it doesn't really work out that much here. Because it's translated, and there's more than more words than that. But. but the word valley: there's 26 words before it, and there's 26 words after it. And what this is means is this isn't a coincidence. What this means is this is David is saying that this is the central idea to what he's trying to say. I want to point out a, a, a change of pronoun in verses 1 through 3, going on to verse 4. And he, whenever he refers to the Lord, or God, or the shepherd. He says, he lets me lie down in green pastures. He leads me besides quiet waters. He renews my life. And then going on to verse 4, he goes from a he to a you. What he's saying here is he goes from talking about the shepherd to once he experiences the valley, he goes to talking to the Shepherd. What he's saying here is once you decide to take on the valley with God, God goes from an abstract concept to a personal relationship. He's saying that you go from talking about God to whenever you accept God's offer, his outstretched hand in the valley, you're going from God as an abstract concept to now you have a personal relationship with the living God. And just like I talked about earlier, even though we don't physically see God, he's with us every step we take. All all we have to do is accept his outstretched hand. And now we're going to jump to Exodus chapter 4. And one of my favorite things about the Old Testament is the different kind of physical forms that God can take whenever he's trying to communicate his followers. And, and we're actually going to be talking about one of my favorite ones today. And in Exodus chapter 4 we're, we're reading about Moses, and which uncoincidentally we're talking also about a shepherd, but this time we're not talking about Moses, you know, kind of like being compared to a shepherd. We're talking about Moses as a literal shepherd. In Exodus chapter 4 Moses had an ama- amazing encounter with God. If you guys a little bit of a refrain Story of Moses, just in case you guys were forgetting, he'd been raised in Pharaoh's home with an education and privilege, and he'd even tried to be Israel deliverer by himself. But one day he saw an Egyptian beating one of another an Israelite slave, and he struck him down and killed him and buried him in the sand. And out of fear, knowing that if he would have been uh, his, the punishment for that would have been death. And he lived in the desert of Midian for 40 years. And one day Moses was just living his life, pasturing his father's father-in-law's flock, and he saw a burning bush, which I think is kind of interesting that they call it a burning bush because if you guys know the story, I mean, the whole thing about the burning bush is it wasn't actually burning. So I don't know why they... Why they did that, but I was thinking about this that this week, like why they call it the burning bush. You should call it the not bush. That'd be a, lot less. a lot better. Sorry, I expected a little bit more of a. You guys just look lost. Um, <laughs> but he saw the burning bush, and it was on fire, but it wasn't being it wasn't burning. The fire was not consuming it. And God called out to Moses from the fire, and said, "Go and gather." to go and gather the elders of Israel together and tell them that I am indeed concerned about them and what has been done to them in Egypt. In verse 18 he said, they will listen to you and what you say, even though the king of Egypt will not listen except under compulsion. You see, Moses was afraid then and started giving God a list of excuses about why he couldn't do what God asked. And Moses responded by saying, who am I to lead the sons out of Egypt? of Israel out of Egypt. God responded, "I will be with you." In other words, deliverance of Israel does not depend on who you are, but deliverance of Israel depends on who I am and I will be with you. And that last part kind of kind of hit hard for me when I was originally writing the sermon because even though th- this event happened thousands of years ago, it's still something we do so often. same thing Moses did. And I want to I repeat what, what I said early. Where deliverance of Israel does not depend on God is God saying to Moses deliverance of Israel does not depend on who you are, but who I am. And that kind of sums it up well, doesn't it? So often we try to do it on our own. And it's really with me. It's really easy to be like, yeah, Avery, you're right. We try to do it on our own. God's there with us. We can all, you know, metaphorically high-five, leave church, go and eat lunch, and we go on with our lives. But whenever we truly get stuck in the battle, whenever life actually hits hard, whenever we actually get involved with the evil around us, is our first instinct whenever we get stuck in the valley to try to claw our way out, to try to climb out ourselves? Or is it our first instinct to accept God's outstretched hand? What's our first reaction? Every Sunday night, whenever I close up the Life Center, I end up uh, ending up putting myself in the same predicament. And it's, it's, kind of, it's kind of funny once I think about it. Every Sunday, especially now since it gets dark at like, what, like 3 p.m. nowadays? It feels like it's, it's ridiculous. Um, I, go to, <laughs> I, go to, I go to, I go to turn off the lights the center. life center. If you guys ever turn off the light, um, lights over there in the other building before, you know that there are two security lights that you can turn on. So like whenever it gets pitch black, you don't have to end up tripping over your own feet and every single Sunday I go back to turn off the breakers and I always forget to turn off the security lights and I know what you're saying, why don't you just turn them on? Well the security lights are in a terrible place, they're all the way towards the exit, so if you forget to turn them on, you're just fumbling around in the dark. And every Sunday I end up having to pull out my phone, turn on the flashlight and using it to guide me out of the gym. And that's our natural instinct, right? Whenever we get stuck in darkness, Whenever we can't see something, our first instinct is to go towards a source of light. It be a light switch, a phone, a lamp, whatever that may be. So whenever we get stuck in the valley, why is it our first instinct most, most times to try to do it on our own? The world is dark, and sin is everywhere and evil is everywhere. It's all around us. So why do we try to fumble around in the dark? John chapter 8, verse 12 says, then Jesus spoke again to the people. He said, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but I will have the light of life. We don't have to do it on our own, even though a lot of times even if it's not on purpose, even if it's subconsciously. We don't have to stumble around in the dark. We have God with us always. And he is our source of light. It's not about being victorious over evil. That's not what the sermon is being about. That's what the sermon is, is about. But we have to be willing to face evil and combat That's all there is to it. We have to, God is always constantly there in our lives, outstretching his hand. And a lot of times what we end up doing is just walk right by him because we think we can do it on our own. We don't need him. And, you know, whenever we we don't end up in those situations, a lot of times we think, yeah, like, oh, I have a good relationship with God. But then whenever we actually get stuck in the valley, whenever we actually get to a dark place in our lives, whenever we actually face evil, what's our first instinct? Closing up today, um, we're going to have uh, our last final song of worship, and I'm going to pray for us. And while I pray, um, the worship team go ahead and come up on stage. Um, but during this, uh, during this last song, we're going to have a time of invitation. And if you've been living your whole life, kind of like what I was saying, where, where you, know, you know God's hand is there, but you just keep on brushing by it, we're going to have a time of invitation to where if, if you want to decide that today is going to be the day where you accept God's outstretched hand, we're going to have a time of invitation for you guys to do that, okay? All right. Dear Father, thank you for giving me this opportunity to uh, to preach today, God. Thank you for Thank you for being with being here with us God during the during wherever we get stuck in the valley. God, I pray for each and every one of us in this room, God, that we we learn that we don't have to do it all with us. Hear my prayer. Amen.